Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. everybody how you doing well that's good welcome to phly flyers presented by mortgage cs check out mortgagecs.com slash phly to start your home buying process today company nmls id number one four six four seven six six my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of fun and games for the evening joining me for the first time this week uh is <laughs> philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter charlie o'connor uh, Charlie, you were sick on Monday. We had the issue at the Wells Fargo Center on Tuesday, and today it appears this the uh, Pico issue has spread to, to the PHLY studios. So I haven't seen you in person in a while since Sunday uh, when you weren't feeling that great. How you feeling today, my friend? Definitely better. Definitely better. I haven't had a fever since like very early Monday morning. Um, and uh, just dealing with congestion now. So looks like it was just one of those passing flus, but uh, was pretty wiped out all day Monday and uh, felt good enough yesterday to cover practice and cover the game. And now I would have felt fine to come to the studio, but we have a studio problem, so we're doing this right. Charlie, now the power outage last night at the Wells Fargo Center. I mean, it was the Sixers, right? Like, come on. <laughs> the timing couldn't have been more perfect. And I'm not going to say it was Joshua Harris, definitely. It certainly had the feel of a Fanatics experience, though, right? Like, I mean, come on. Oh, boy. What I will say is that I treated this out toward the game. The Flyers are very lucky. When I say the Flyers, I mean Comcast Spectacle. They're very lucky this happened at a Flyers game and not a Sixers game. Because if it would have happened at a Sixers game, imagine the narrative. They would have gotten raked over the calls by the Sixers. Of course, the Sixers are looking for any reason to say why they still so desperately needed to arena. If this would have happened in the middle of a Sixers game, oh boy. The Comcast is at least lucky this happened with the team that they own and they have full control over, not the team that they are desperately trying to keep from leaving them. Well, at least uh, at least they're going to renovate the rest of the sports complex, Charlie. Uh, we can get into that another day. There is a lot of newsy Flyers stuff going on. We will start with the uh, most recent thing. I saw it on Twitter like an hour ago, got my jokes off, uh, as is my want. Um, Cal Peterson on waivers. Now, 
this may or may not signal that, yeah, we just can't ever do that again. Could just be over for him. Um, but and maybe they're just trying to accrue some cap space with some off days. You know, he's got the $5 million hit. They can bury some of it in the minors. Um, who knows what the ultimate plan is going to be. Hopefully we never see him in a Flyers uniform again. Uh, but we can pretty safely assume there's a 0% chance he's claimed Charlie. <laughs> Oh, there is a negative zero percent chance that anyone is picking up Cal Peterson. Like this is this is the most slam dunk possible non-waiver claim that you are ever going to see. No one is picking up Cal Peterson. No one is picking up Cal Peterson even after he had a few good games this season. But after he has, and maybe it's unfair for me to say one of the worst games of any goalie in the NHL this year. But in watching it, it sure it looked like one of the worst games of any goalie in the NHL this year. It's hard for me to imagine a worse game than the one that we watched on that on Sunday. Like, I had what was almost certainly a fever over 100 degrees, and I wonder if I could have done about as good a job as Kyle Peterson did. It was really rough. Charlie, looking at how... Uh, and Vasilevsky wasn't exactly great last night, but looking no, at how John... No, looking at how John Cooper played that, like... Well, fuck it. Let's go eight and a half minutes without a goalie because we're basically playing without one anyway. You think maybe Tortorella could have... Could have tried that against the Penguins. What was the difference? Uh, you know, well, he, he did play with three and a half minutes left in the game, which for Torrance is huge. It's way earlier than he ever usually does. So, as we talked about after the game, I think that was a sign. Look, this it doesn't necessarily mean that Cal Peterson is definitely getting sent down. The Flyers could, in theory, be waving him in anticipation of the trade deadline to give themselves the flexibility to send him down whenever they want, because. We have seen in past scenarios where the Flyers have waived someone, he has gone unclaimed, and then they've kept him up with the with the, the, the NHL team for a bit longer. They just want to have the flexibility to know that they can send it out. Because if you don't, if a guy has a clear waivers, he's already passed the, uh, the 30-day mark Cal Peterson has being up with the team. So he has to clear waivers to be sent down. If he hasn't, if he, if he hasn't cleared waivers, the Flyers have to wait two days. They have to do the, the clear waivers and then send him down. Can't just send the guy down in one day. This might just be a flexibility thing. However, the circumstantial evidence would imply, based on how clearly he played on Sunday, the fact that I directly asked John Farrell yesterday, how well was Peterson's leash after that game on Sunday, and would you consider calling up Felix Sandshirt? And John Farrell's answer was, well, we're having those discussions. That wasn't a joke. So <laughs> we're having those discussions means yes, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> that's that's basically what the answer to that question was. Uh, so hopefully that's it for Cal Peterson. Like you said, I, I don't know if that's no, I do know. I am going to say maybe there have been goalies who were as bad as Cal Peterson, but it, it, it's impossible for an NHL goalie, a guy who someone thought this is a good idea, we can throw him out there uh, to play worse than he did. It was uh, He gave them a 0% chance to win the game. Even the saves he made, it was like, oh, shit. Uh, so, and they see that well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hopefully, hopefully that's over, and I have no idea if Felix Sandstrom's going to be any better. His AHL numbers suggest we are in for more of the same, but who knows? Goalies are weird. Maybe he's going to be the best goalie in the league for a month. You know, like that shit happen. He can't look. 
he can't be any worse. Like, it's very hard for you to imagine him doing worse than Cal Peterson did on Sunday. He is a bit younger. The Flyers did draft and develop him. I saw somebody on Twitter point out maybe this is his last chance. Look, I think the ship is pretty much sailed on Field Sasher, but... Look, we've seen guys change the trajectory of their career out of nowhere. We've seen guys like Alex Lyon run into superstars for, for three weeks. And now Alex Lyon at age, I think he's 31, 32, is now like a solid NHL backup. And it took him until he was in his late 20s, early 30s to get there. You never know. So this is an opportunity, again, if they set Peterson down to call Sancho up for this back-to-back this weekend, which it seems like that's probably what's going to happen. If Sancho gets a chance... Every opportunity you get in the NHL is that. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to change the narrative, to change your story. Maybe Felix Antrim steps up and sees it. I don't think it's likely, but unlikely things happen all the time in the NHL, so you never know. They do. Dumb shit happens all the time. It's basically pinball out there two years in a row after basically looking like, okay, Alex Lyon is Neil Little. He's going to have a great AHL career, and that's it. Uh, Alex Lyon is saving franchises and their playoff hopes for the second straight season. Uh, Maybe Felix Sandstrom catches uh, lightning in a bottle. You know, Michael Layton got pulled out of men's league and took a team to the Stanley Cup final. Now, what happened after that? You know, but still they got there. So crazy dumb shit happens. Let me take a quick second and tell you about my friends at Mortgage CS. They're the presenting sponsor of this and every episode of PHLY Flyers. And we could not be happier to be in business with Ben and Alec and the entire Mortgage CS team. Uh, Listen, the spring purchase market, it's almost here and it's heating up quickly. Many clients, especially first-time home buyers, they're reaching out and they want to be ready when rates drop. Uh, and this is something, it's a strategy everyone is employing. That means there's going to be limited inventory and strong demand and competition will remain extremely fierce for the rest of this year in the housing market. So you need to get in touch with Mortgage CS to prepare and ensure you will be able to stand out and make the strongest offers possible when the time is right for you. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or you're looking to refinance or you just want to know what you have to do to qualify for a mortgage when the time is right, Mortgage CS should be a consideration no matter your situation. There are a plethora of mortgage brokers out there. Many of them will promise the best rates and tell you whatever you want to hear to get you to go with them. But the reason you should consider Mortgage CS, they're good, honest people that are going to work hard not to let their clients down. But don't take it from me. Check out their reviews on Google. Spoiler, their average is five stars, and this... It's not the uh, Dave Meltzer system where you go to like seven and a half for no reason. Uh, It stops at five. That's it. And their average is five. Uh, Let's take a look at their most recent review from just five days ago. It reads, my husband and I just bought our first home together through Mortgage CS, and they were absolutely amazing. The whole team was great. Ben, Christine, Alec, and everyone were always available, kind, patient, diligent. We were aggressively looking for a home, meaning that throughout this process, we made multiple offers and needed to see the numbers for a variety of houses every week. They always provided us with the best service in this fast-paced market. Everything was thoroughly explained to us during each step, and we felt like they truly had our best interest in mind. Can't recommend them enough. 
Charlie, is this not what I've been saying about Mortgage CS? That's exactly it right there. That's almost like it was a script written for me. It wasn't. Pulled that straight from Google. They didn't send it to me. Uh, So when you hear the word mortgage, think of Mortgage CS. Think of Ben and Alec. Save Ben's telephone number, 267-391-7425, to your phone. Email Ben at bennettmortgagecs.com. Anytime, day or night, talk Philly sports. Check out mortgagecs.com slash PHLY to get started today. This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity mortgage broker. All loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. Visit mortgagecs.com for more information all right we got the power outage we got uh cal peterson hopefully we never have to discuss cal peterson again except for a few years from now when we go remember that wild seven six game and you'll have to be like oh yeah which one from that season the peterson one oh yeah uh so let's move it, on it, to it, we try to remember all of the goalies that played in 2018 2019 so we play that game yeah uh, it's it'll be a fun game cal picker baby Cal Pickard and Cal Peterson, legends forever. Put their names in the rafters. Uh, let's go to Travis Konechny, Charlie, because in your uh, in your post-game hit last night, which you weren't able to join us live because of the Wi-Fi situation at the FARG, your uh, video was posted to the YouTube, so if no one's checked that out yet, you can do that at your leisure. Uh, but one of the questions was about injury updates. This team's dealing with a ton of injuries uh, we heard yesterday Jamie Drysdale is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. His buddy Cam York said it looks like they avoided a worst-case scenario, so take that for what it's worth. Risto is on IR. And the Konechny thing is the uh, is the one that really stood out to me in your post-game hit, Charlie, because you said Torts kind of opened up about it and said, yeah, we don't know. That doesn't sound great. Yeah, the Flyers are still getting the day-to-day designation, so they are still um... – Maybe I wouldn't quite say downplaying it, but they are implying that he's not going to be out that long. However, John Tortorella didn't speak like a coach who is convinced that, that Travis Connecticut isn't going to be out that long. Now, the next game the Flyers play is Friday night. They play against Washington. It's a big game. The Capitals, well, I personally am not a believer in the Washington Capitals. They have ran some games, and they're still in the mix. And if the Flyers were to lose to them and lose in regulation, suddenly the Capitals become a team you got to worry about a little bit for this spot, this, this third spot in the Metro. So it's a big game. You want to have Travis connecting back for it. John Turner did not speak. Let a coach who is necessarily catalog Travis Konechny to be back for this game. Look. It's unclear what the injury is. The Flyers are referred to it as an upper body injury. Based on the videos we have seen, it looks like it's kind of skirting the limit of upper body. Like Bill Meltzer in his uh, in his Meltzer's Musings column at, at Hockey Buzz. I don't think he calls it that anymore, but I will always call it Meltzer's Musings. This is a really good name for a column. He used it years and years ago. He speculated it could be an oblique injury. That would make sense because those are very rebulous injuries. And the concern with an oblique injury is it starts feeling better, you feel good, and then you twist just a little bit in the wrong way in the game, and suddenly what was once a day-to-day injury is a four- to six-week injury because you pulled it entirely. I understand why the Flyers want to play it safe with Connectly. I also understand why they really let Travis and I can come back as quickly as possible because they're a playoff race. He's the team's best player. So they're in a tight spot. They're going to want to be careful with him. 
They certainly don't want him to, you know, maybe make something worse. We saw what happened with Claude Drew and Shane Osper with core muscle injuries in the past where, you know, a one-season injury turns into a two-season injury, turns into a, in the case of Shane Osper, did he ever really get back to what he was that rookie season? Debatable. I mean, he had an amazing year in 2017-2018, but was he ever quite as that happened as he was as a rookie? Probably not. He adapted, but I don't think he was ever that guy. So you understand why, if that's the injury, they would want to play as safe as possible, even though this team very much wants to make the playoffs. I just get the sense that they are going to treat connecting with kid gloves to a degree, and John Tortorella being John Tortorella, he is very forthright about these things. He's probably more forthright than the organization would like him to be sometimes when he's talking to us about these kinds of things. But yeah, it was it was concerning in the sense that while he is technically day to day, George Harrell did not speak about him as if he was truly day to day in the sense that they are expecting him to be back in a few days. That said, he is their best player and. To make the playoffs, you probably need your best player. Charlie, 12 goals, 12 goals in the last two games without him. I'm just saying, what if this is one of those Bobby Abreu situations? No, I don't actually believe that to be – I do not believe that to be the case. He is the personality and the, st- uh, the straw that stirs the drink for this team. But I got to ask, you know, TK is out. Farabee has gone, I think, 13 straight without a goal. Tippett has only scored in two of his last 11 games. Um, I just named you all of the good offensive players. How is this team scoring? Cam Atkinson doesn't anymore. Cam Atkinson got scratched. I mean, what we're seeing right now is they are being carried by all the guys who in December and January, even a lot of February, couldn't score single lives. I mean, Noah Kings had five points heading into the All-Star break. Scott Ratton looked like absolute garbage up until a few weeks ago. I'm trying to think who else. Like, Travis Sandheim hadn't scored that out in January. He had two points in 14 games. Like, they are getting points from guys who weren't just depth guys from a scoring standpoint for a couple months. They were the guys who we were actively bringing up on the show and saying, are they ever going to score again? Like, that's how they're surviving. They're surviving because those guys have gotten hot just as the guys who were carrying the team or those guys who were ice cold have gotten cold in the wrong play. Yeah, and that's really where I wanted to go with this was to talk about the blue line a little bit. I mean, four stair goals in three straight, that's huge. Yeah, um, yeah, Brink comes up, scores right away. That's a big deal. But it, especially early season, something that stuck out so much was – offense from the defenseman and that kind of dried up a little bit uh recently as some other guys kind of took over the scoring but here they are now like last night they get the sean walker goal they get another sandheim goal they get another york goal i want to talk about this uh sandheim york pairing we're gonna start with travis sandheim eight points in his last eight games uh, six, uh, four goals in his last six, I think. York has three points over the last two games. These two uh, have started to turn it back on offensively. Now, what I wanted to ask you initially about Sandheim, because uh, it just looks, he looks so much better on the right side, and you brought that up in your uh, in your post-game hit last night. You talked about, like, well, he's just more confident. I don't know if he's, you know, back to what he was or if it's just a scoring streak, but he's just better on the right. 
I remember they played Sanheim on the right side in the AHL. Did they ever try this for any, like, real amount of time before, like, at the NHL level? Like, before they yes. were with them on the right? They did. So the, the longest stretch he had on the right side was in the second half of the 2018-2019 season, which was a lost season where they played him on the top pair with Ivan Perkins. Because Ivan Provorov refused to play the right side. So it was like, all right, well, if Prody is only a left side defenseman because he refuses to do anything other than that, then I guess we got to try Sandheim on the right. And Sandheim was fine. Like, that pairing was passable, especially given the fact that Sandheim was getting first pair of minutes and getting the matchups that go along with playing alongside Ivan Provorov, who's very much the workhorse at the time. That said, he didn't look like this version of Sandheim. By this version of Sandheim, I mean the Sandheim from the first two months of the year and then over maybe like the last week. He didn't look like that guy. So, yes, they tried it before. It didn't provide these kinds of results. I think it's probably a combination of he is more comfortable on the right. He's more comfortable carrying the puck through the through the zone. He just feels like it's his better fit. And he's got a coaching staff screaming at him to go at every minute in a way that like Dave Hacksaw and and Elaine Villa and uh, Scott Norton, that was the coach in 2018, 2019, uh, just for not going to do. That they do not have the same mentality of John Verrell, who basically just wants all of his defensemen to be flat out mad then out there covering the puck at all times. I, I think it's a combination of those two things, really. Sanheim has matched his career high in points. Uh, his sophomore season, his first full year in the NHL, he has he is yeah, now at five points. And it's it's truly one. It's wild that he was drafted in 2014, and it took that long. Um, just this organization driving us freaking crazy. Uh, but w- another thing I wanted to talk about. I think you tweeted today. You don't know if you're crazy about the long term fit of Sanheim and York as a pair together, whether it's a second pair or whatever you want to call it, you know, on a great team. It's you don't believe it's a set and forget. Yeah, Sanheim and York, done. What is it you don't love about those two together? Well, they keep getting off score. I mean, uh, that's the big thing. Like, the wrong years were shitload of goals against. Uh, John Bailey actually did an interesting article about this uh, a few days ago. It might have been last week. Uh, basically, that, like, this pairing, it, it does good things. They're the most for a lot of goals against. I just don't know if they have the kind of chemistry necessarily to really take full advantage of their talents, because they don't do good things. Cam York has improved dramatically defensively. Travis Anheim has improved dramatically offensively. I just don't know I love the fit there. I feel like there's, there's a better fit. Maybe it's not somebody who's necessarily even on this roster yet. Could be a prospect. You know, for Europe, maybe it's Oliver Buck. For Sanai, maybe it's a Andre. Maybe it's someone who they haven't even drafted yet or traded for yet. I don't know. I just don't love that. As a second pair, maybe. As a, as a first pair, I really don't like it. But I think you're just stuck with it right now. Oh, yeah. For right now, yeah, it's absolutely the best they can do. Um, I just, I never love the pairing, and I'm not the biggest fan of either guy. Now, I think they're making great strides and perhaps can be part of really good pairings. I just wanted to know what your real thoughts were, if it really was just results-based. You know, because you you see the game a little deeper, Charlie. You like to dig a little deeper sometimes. But uh, the results are what they are. They do get scored on a shit ton. And 
I wonder if it's it's we'll talk about Sam Harrison in a little bit. But when you were saying that, I just thought uh, you tweeted the stat earlier, like his expected save percentage. Uh, Sam Harrison's is like 889 based on the quality of shots that this team gives up, even though they don't yeah. give up a ton of shots. Like are Sanheim and York maybe the same in that they're pretty much good. But when they fuck up, oh, do they, do they? And it's a goal. Like, I think that's part of it. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, if you look at the underlying metrics this year, I'm guided by uh, avalukaki.com, my uh, my personal favorite bit set site. Um, By expected goals, they're decent. They're at 49.05%, which is under 50%. It's not great. It's not horrible. It's not great. It's not that you want to have your first pair, but I guess it's it's passable. The problem is that you're their actual goals for percentage is 35.67%. Well, that's real bad. And if that's what you're getting out of your first pair, you probably should be looking for another better first pair. I mean, that's how it boils down to. I like both betters. I legitimately do. I am so skeptical that Travis said I've had a great team as a first pair defenseman. I think he's in that like two to three range where if you give him a great partner, he can be into it. If he does have a great partner, he's an amazing number three. He's an amazing, you know, best style on a second pair. I really do think that's his niche. I hope the Flyers can get or develop good enough defensemen to allow to slide into that niche. This year, they've asked a lot of it. And I think Travis Ann has done a really good job given what he's been asked to do. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Flyers are getting outscored with them on the ice this year. And this isn't the first time that's happened. I just don't see Cam York as the guy. Like, I really liked until it became clear that Philip Myers could not think the game at a high enough level to play in the NHL level. I really liked the potential of the Sam and Myers pair. I thought their, their skill sets complemented each other really well. It's just Myers ultimately didn't have the hockey IQ to be a full-time NHL defenseman. Cam York very much does have a hockey IQ to be a full-time NHL defenseman, but I don't think Sam and York skill sets complement each other nearly as well as Myers sales do. I, I think I would like to see a guy who's you know maybe a bit bigger, who can just, you know, erase some of the mistakes better in the defensive zone that say I'm always going to provide, who you don't necessarily want jumping into the play, the way to push and York to jump into the play. I, I don't know. There's just things about that period I don't like. They had to use it this year because, again, this defense going in the year looked like a total shit show. It's been a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But by the numbers, it's not the Sandheim pairing that's carrying the scene. It's the Sealer Walker pairing that's carrying the scene. That's the pairing that has killed it by the numbers, true. And I, I want to uh, get to Sealer in just one second, Charlie. But first, for Mailbag Monday, uh, this was a question that I just asked Kelly. Um, because Bill and Sewell really wants to know, what did we do to deserve something like the Jamie Drysdale injury chart? Like, why do these things keep happening to us? And I know that it seems as if they avoided the worst case scenario, but God damn it. Can't we just have like one nice, it's not even like he's been playing that well, but like, can he just not get hurt? Like, can he just finish out the year healthy and then go into the offseason healthy and get better? And then we have a potential top pair defenseman that we traded, Cutter Gochi. Like, what did we do? 
No, it's not no, a real flight. The hockey gods will apparently never reward Flyers fans at full. It's always give, give one thing, take two away, right? It's truly unbelievable. All right, I want to get to this, uh, stick it on the blue line, the discussion around Nick Sealer's contract uh, that was making, I guess, its way around social media yesterday. This is from at the fourth period, uh, David Pagnata. He talked about uh, Sean Walker at first and just like, yeah, the Flyers are more likely than not to trade Walker. And then he says on Sealer, sounds like the initial contract ask wasn't received overly well from Philly's side. Talks ongoing, I believe, but sounds like Flyers want him in the two and a half to three million dollar average annual value range. And Sealer's camp is looking for a fair bit more over multiple years. Charlie, I said this uh, on last night's post game. I said it on Twitter. I am a big fan of Nick Sealer. It's awesome what he's turned himself into. The minute you start paying him three million bucks or more, there's no more advantage to have it. Like Nick Sealer giving you good second pair minutes, blocking shots, being tough, being a steady defenseman. That's awesome at seven seventy five. You are getting above value for what he's making right now. The minute you start paying him three, four million dollars is the minute you now have an albatross contract. Now, I know the cap going up is going to change our perception of like what three million dollars means. Like Scott Lawton getting three million dollars is different than Nick Sealer because the cap is dramatically different. But that still seems like a hell of an ask. I don't, I don't blame Nick Sealer for asking for that kind of money. No, no, no. This is- like, this guy has not gotten paid that much at the NHL level. This is really his last chance to cash in. So I get it. Ask for as much as you want. And the same reason why the Flyers want to keep Nick Sealer, despite the fact that it logically it probably doesn't make the most sense, given where they set their as an organization, the prospects they have coming, the fact that he might block some guys, or the fact that, you know, John Torrell's might fall in love with him as he already has and decide he just can't bear to sit Nick Sealer because he's Nick Sealer. And for all of those same reasons, there is a chance that Nick Sierra hits the market. He legitimately might get somebody who gives him, you know, a $4 million contract a year over four years. Because they just decide, we need a guy like Nick Sierra in this room to change our fucked up culture that we don't like. And Sealer's camp has to know that. So, of course, they're going to ask for a lot. Now, the big question the Sealer is going to be, how badly does he want to stay with it? Because he has to know, number one, he really wants here. Number two, he does fit well here. And he's very coaching staff, both George Morrell and Brad Shaw. They're really valuable. I wonder if he will pull back on his ass as it gets closer to the trade deadline. Because I've always had the sense, and I can be wrong, I guess we'll see. I've always had the sense that Walker is the guy who deep down the flyers though doesn't fit. And will probably get moved. And Sierra is the guy who, deep down, they know they really want. And I think, like, like I'm equating this to what happened with Stockwell, where not 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 recently, but I'm talking about what his contract was about to expire, where they were talking about other teams while also negotiating with Stockwell. And Stockwell ultimately, I think, came to bed at the end because he decided, you know what, I want to stay in Philadelphia. Could I get more on the open market? Absolutely, I could. 
but I love it here that I want to say, and I'm going to get, I'm going to cave to a degree to give them the contract that they are willing to sign me to. I wonder if Nick Seal will ultimately do the same thing. I am more skeptical that Sean Walker will ultimately do the same thing, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. I just think that there's a better chance that Seal ultimately decides I'd rather play somewhere where I know I'm valued for, you know, $0.4 million a year less than I might get on the open market. We'll see how it plays out, but that's kind of where my head's at, though. What do you think, like, to me, that two and a half, three that the Flyers want, like, that is the upper end of what I'm willing to pay in Nick yeah. Sealer. And this is no slight to Nick Sealer. I hope he goes out and gets himself the Andrew McDonald contract from one of 31 other teams, not the Flyers. Like, I hope that for him. That dude is a badass who turned himself into something when it didn't look like he was going to be anything in this league. Good for him. He's earned the money. I don't want to be the team that gives it to him because this is a capped league. Like, what do you think the limit should be on a Nick Sealer extension? Uh, look, we talked about this months ago. I always expected him to be in the twos. That was my, like, the idea that they were going to get Nick Sealer for somewhere in the ones to me was always a pipe dream. This is a guy who's getting used in the top four role. No, he doesn't score a lot, but he's beloved by his coaching staff, and he's the reason why he's beloved by his coaching staff is why GMs all around the league are going to like him. He was always going to get a significant raise over the 775K that he's making right now. That was that was a foregone conclusion. I thought my my lead play was somewhere in the mid twos. If they're pushing for higher than three, if the Flyers are going to sign it, it's probably going to be higher than the mid twos. If they come to some sort of agreement, my guess. We'll see, but. To me, this this isn't that far from what I assumed he was going to get paid. Like you, you look at the the guys in this price range. Like you know, guys like Ian Cole, he's getting three million dollars a year. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, he's getting three million dollars this year. Um, I believe Luke Shen is somewhere in like the two point seven five range. I think. Uh, yeah, he's two point seven five. Braden McNabb's at two point eight five. Like that's what these kinds of guys who are averaging in that like fifteen to eighteen minutes a night, they don't score a lot, but they do the little things coaches love. That's kind of what these guys get. So this is right in range with what I assumed he was going to get. It just kind of comes down to whether the Flyers are willing to pay. This is why I was always skeptical of the idea of resigning Nick Seal. Because I always assumed he was gonna get around this much. And my viewpoint was that to me. If you resign Nick Seal, that means you are, you are willingly and knowingly overpaying the guy who in a couple of years will, hopefully, if the prospects they have developed the way they want to, will be kind of a 6-7. That can you afford to overpay a 6-7? Yeah, you can. It's probably not going to kill you. There are worse things that have a, a guy who plays 50 games a year and delivers good good games when he plays but is scratched for you know weeks at a time when everybody's healthy. Certainly worse things than that. It's not going to destroy your chances of winning a cup. It's just probably not the best way to manage your assets, which is why I was opposed to it. Now, when there are actual numbers being thrown around, it's becoming more clear why I was opposed to it because these are the numbers I was always envisioning it was going to take to sign an alien. I, like, again, really respect what Nick Sealer has turned himself into. That said, like, given this coaching staff, and we've talked about this, like, what they've done with literally every defenseman on the roster this year, um, 
man, if that Hunter McDonald kid they absolutely love can't be turned into Nick Sealer, like if somehow Igor Zamula can't be turned later in his career into Nick Sealer, like the way Nick Sealer became this late in his career, like if they don't have someone that they can teach to like block five shots a game and stick up for his teammates, I know a lot of it is intrinsic and attitude and like you have to really want to do it. But goddamn, yeah. man, I'm I'm not asking you to turn somebody into Adam Fox here. I'm saying like, can you make me a good fifth defenseman? And it seems as if they're pretty good at that, you know. Like Rasmus Ristolainen, and they've turned into that. I don't see why you can't. This I'm looking at that Hunter McDonald kid. Like, if they like him so much, there has to be a reason. Maybe he's the replacement there. But we'll all see. We'll see all that down the line. You know, we we get talking about these things and. Sometimes I just got to remember, chill. <laughs> this team, they drive us nuts. We've been doing this a long time, and just talking about them gets me fired up, and that's why I do sometimes need to chill. And there's no better way to chill than with an ice-cold Coors Light. So whether you're freaking out about the goaltenders, injuries, the draft lottery, trades, contract extensions, whatever it is that makes you nuts – you need to find the Blue Mountains in your fridge and enjoy a beer as cold as the Rockies because when everything surrounding your favorite hockey team is on fire, sometimes you just got to chill. When you choose to rise above it all, choose chill. Choose Coors Light. Get Coors Light delivered straight to your door with Instacart by going to CoorsLight.com slash P-H-L-Y hockey. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, Charlie, it's time to talk about Captain Coots on the fourth line. Um, first off, this I just have to This is so This is so perfect. Really, it's the best thing that's ever happened. You got to you, you regret it, everybody. You got your captain, and now you immediately get to complain about You get to, and it's like all of the people who way back during the Couturier Wars days um, were like, he's a 4C. Well, you got your wish. <laughs> I have to ask, though, if you had to choose, if you had to choose wingers, Delorier and Lixell or Ronaldo and Reed? Delorier and Lixell are better because Delorier is actually an NHL caliber player. He's actually an NHL caliber player. Zach Ronaldo, true talent. I truly believe this. Zach Ronaldo, true talent, was an ECHL. He was terrible. He could not play H. He could not play H. I'm sorry, he could. He could do three laps around the rink before Delorier got around like half. Yeah, yeah, he was a really good skater. He was a really good skater. That was it. Uh, he was great at running dudes from behind. He changed. He changed. I mean, he was. He changed that Pittsburgh game by getting Latang. He fought a ref in the AHL. I will take no. I think Matt Reed is better than any of these guys, so I'm taking Ronaldo and Reed. But that's just okay. because, like, I I'd love Zach Ronaldo, and I thought Matt Reed had three really really strong years. Um, he did. All right. I'll say is that the the Fulick line. Well, I guess yeah. I guess when Magaturi was, but he was a third line center during that year. When he had when he had Matt Reed on one foot because he was playing on a high, high ankle sprain, and then they gave him a Zach Ronaldo because Peter Lager went along Zach Ronaldo for some reason. I don't know. Was it? I feel like it was. It it was eventually Baruby that was like, I'm going to turn him into a penalty killer. And it was like, wh- he's the one who's always in the box. 
It's a waste of everyone's time. But yeah, all, you know, we could go on about the past forever. We'll have a whole summer to do that, Charlie. All right. So over the last seven games, Couturier has averaged 14 minutes and 55 seconds. He played a season low on Tuesday against Tampa, 12 minutes and 12 seconds. I went back through his game logs. I found since his third year in the league, I found five games, all of which I'm pretty sure he got hurt in, uh, where he played less than he did against Tampa. His first two years in the league, there were like 33 times he played sub 12-12. But since year three on, he plays a ton. (laughs) You know, he's been depended on quite heavily, and he played less than basically he ever has on Tuesday What's going on with Sean Couturier? He's just a puddle. People want to talk about this, and I get it. Like It's a story, absolutely, that Sean Couturier is getting fourth live minutes. But there really isn't that much to break down. He's not playing well. John Trudeau has made it clear that when guys aren't playing well, they're going to move down the lineup. Sean Couturier is a player, and also he's going to move down the lineup. And I think this actually, like, Am I happy to see Sean Couturier struggling? No. Am I concerned that they may have burned him out over the first half of the year by playing him 20 minutes a night after he missed a year and a half due to back surgeries? Yes, I'm legitimately concerned about that. But, in a way, this is kind of a good thing because it shows that John Trudeau actually is consistent in his treatment of players. That... This isn't a case of, well, I have one set of rules for my star guys and one set of rules for the young guys, which was definitely the case in, like, the Hacksaw era and even, to a degree, in the Vigno era. Although Vigno was more like he played favorites, like he just didn't like Voracek, but he liked Couturier, so, like, that was the thing. Hacksaw had only legitimately two sets of rules. And there were always, there was always one set of rules for Ivan Pernod and then one set of rules for every other defenseman on the team. This is showing that you never had, okay, yes, I scratched Holder Frost. Yes, I put Scott Walton on the fourth line. You know, yes, I have been hard on some of the young guys. I sat Joel Fowdery after one bad shift in the first period, but I will also scratch Cam Atkinson, who I've known for a decade and coached for years, and we're like actually buds. And I will move Sean Turay down to line four if he's having a bad month. This is showing that Josh Redd will do it to anybody. No one is safe from his wrath. And you might disagree with his style of coaching, but at least he's consistent. No, this is something JP and I talked about a lot last night. Like, as much as I'd rather Sean Couturier just be the 1C right now and look like his old self and we're off to the races, for this culture, like – We've talked about guys like Tortorella or if it's La Violette, whoever, these guys who are kind of hard on you, their message runs thin. And I think a lot of times coaches can wear out their welcome quickly because the locker room just goes, no, you're fucking, you're bullshitting me. So I'm not listening to this. John Tortorella, when he scratches Cam Atkinson, when Sean Couturier plays fewer minutes than he's played since he was a teenager, it's not great, but it is kind of a message to everyone else. Like everything is earned. Like Bobby Brink comes up and gets his opportunity. He plays 15 minutes. Sean Couturier doesn't play well. He was just given the C two weeks ago. 
yeah, man, you're the 4C right now. Don't know what to tell you. On a team with no centers, you're the 4C somehow. <laughs> I was, like, trying to figure out what the lights were without looking it up. Like, how did they even – okay, I guess they could. Uh, but it's I, I do think that part of it is good for the, like, long-term stability. If, 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 uh, if Torts is going to be here as the head coach longer than I kind of think – he lasts most places it's going to take efforts like this of people realizing like he's not bullshitting us he is being straight like you earn what you get here and some guys aren't earning it even if they are you know the longest tenured athlete in the city or whatever Sean Couturier is (laughs) at this point um just so I'm not suggesting this is the case I am simply putting on my journalist hat and asking someone who actually knows a a real journalist. um, There's no chance of this becoming a Kevin Hayes situation two weeks after he gets the C, right? No, there was too much respect there, I think, on Torts' part. I I do. And and I think Torts even said this after the game, that there were moments in the third period, situational moments, primarily defensive moments, where Torts was like, I tried my best to get Coots in those moments because I know he can still do it. I know he's still got I think really what it boils down to is that right now he doesn't have a lot of confidence in Sean Torres' offensive abilities. Like, that's why you put him with Nick Torres. The thing with Victor Laurier is, I don't care how good of a setter you are, if Victor Laurier is on your way, you're not scoring much. Because Victor Laurier can't score. He just can't. Even when he was playing legitimately good hockey in October, he had two points. If that, he's not an offensive player. He just isn't. And if you have another win, you ain't scoring goals. Like, that that PhD line was fun. It was a fun line. It drove a player. It got a lot of chances. You know what it didn't do? It didn't make the win. In large part because... Nick Torres is on the line. We're, we're talking about how great and LeJoc Morella is raving about this new payment line. You know what this new payment line is? It's just a PhD line but replacing the Warrior with Bill Gates. Branch you can screw sometimes. And sadly, it's a great line. And like, think, think about what that means. Noah Cates, the guy who could not score a little bit for most of this season. Like... You replace Nick Delorier with him, and it's like, yeah, they can score a little. Like, it's it, a vast difference there. So, absolutely. Um, you mentioned maybe they wore Couturier down with the workload in the first half of the season. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Do you think it's wear and tear, or is it a health concern right now? I, I have not heard that he is dealing with some type of injury that he's playing through. I I really haven't. I haven't heard any rumblings of that. Look, it's the end of February. It's a long season. At this point, everybody's a little banged up. I'm sure Sean Maturi is banged up. I'm sure there are, you know, bumps and bruises and things that's going to take a month or so after the season to heal. But I don't get the sense that this is a a comparative situation to like when Drew just fell off a cliff the final two months of the year in that playoff series against the Capitals and then threw up and down after the season no I'm healthy and me and you look at each other and we're like oh god I hope he's alive because if he's healthy yeah. he freaking sucks now like I don't think it's that and then ultimately he did get surgery because he was lying all over faces but I don't think it's that I don't think he's hiding an injury and if he is he's doing a really good job hiding because I haven't heard anything I just think He's a bit banged up because everyone is, and he missed a year and a half, 
and they probably did overwork in a bit in the first half. Now the hope is maybe you pull back on his minutes a little bit for the next few weeks. Maybe you get close to Pete Couturier back for the final three, four weeks of the season. I'm still hopeful that could happen. Maybe this is a combination of he's a little gassed and he's slumping and he's in his own head a little bit. Maybe he gets a little bit of that energy back and he starts feeling good about his play again. And then suddenly in you know in mid-March, he's back to getting 18, 19, 20 minutes a minute. That's possible. Am I concerned? Yeah, I'm concerned. You always have to be concerned about a guy who signed for what? Another, what's this? Another six years after this to a year, $8 million a year contract? You always have to be concerned when he's struggling to the degree he struggled over the last month or so. That said, and I do want to point this out because I pointed this out on my mailbag call. I pointed this out in my uh, my postgame hit uh, last night. Is Couturier playing not his standards? Yes. Is Couturier also getting pretty unlucky? Awesome guess. I think after last Senate's game, the flyer was always with him on the ice in February of stop 77% of the shots. That is making his play look worse than it actually is. He's been involved in uncharacteristic breakdowns for himself. Some of it is that the bear was out of the middle of the beach while he's on the ice. That happens over small samples. Next month, when the calendar turns to March, the girls might remember how to stop the puck when he's on the ice, and suddenly he doesn't look as bad as he looks right now, and then everything seems better. I think that is part of this, is that he's getting a little bad luck with him. That 775 number is just, like, it, almost impossible, it feels like. <laughs> like there's it, there's it, it happens. It happens. Oh, yeah. These are small samples. Yeah, it's, it's just... Like hilarious to think if it was I mean eight hundred is bad. If it was like yeah. eight hundred, we might think totally differently about it. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's a tremendous thing. Uh let's go to Cam Atkinson, a guy who um I don't think much he's actually he's actually been this bad. Coots is getting on the he's been underwhelming. Atkinson I don't think he's been very lucky. He's just been very poor over these last few years. And the roller coaster of his season, we went through this a little on Monday with Kelly, but I want to go through it again with you. So the first 15 games, eight goals, 12 points. Then November 15th to January 12th, he had the 12, he had the 26 game goalless drought. He got scratched in there. He eventually broke the drought. He had two goals against the Jets on uh, I think it was like January 14th or 15th or something. And he scored five goals and five assists over a six-game span there. Then he had an 11-game drought. No goals, no assists from January 25th to now. And that led to him being scratched again on Tuesday against Tampa. This season, uh, whatever. It, it is what it is with Cam Atkinson. Maybe he comes back in and he's a little better for a bit. Nah, who knows? Um, but he signed through next year at $5.875 million. What are they going to do with this guy? He's unplayable. Well, I mean, last night he certainly was unplayable. John Tortorella, like, again, one of his best buds, didn't play. And that speaks to just how poorly he's played over these last, these last what, 11 or so games or 12 games that he's uh, he's gone without, uh, without even a point. What I think is ultimately going to happen here, and this is why I'm not going to speculate as to how it's going to be resolved, you have to remember, and I just mentioned it, just how tight Torts and Atkinson are. 
they have a real strong mutual respect. I really think that they are going to have some tough conversations, the two of them, this summer, about basically like what they should do about this. I could see this playing out a lot of different ways. I could see it playing out where Tortorella basically says to Atkinson, look, I just don't know if we can play anywhere. I don't know if you're if you're in the uh, if you're in the picture. We have all these young kids. Like you're blocking out somebody like Bobby Brink. You're blocking out somebody like Sammy Tuamalo. I don't see how you fit. We might have to buy you out. But I think that's a conversation that like, they're not just going to do. It. They're going to talk to Atkinson, and I think if, and I think if Atkinson basically is like. Give me one last chance. Let me work my ass off this offseason and let me show you that this year, that my struggles this year were because I missed the previous year, not because I cut. And then maybe they talk back to like, look, if, if it's a month into the season and I just don't have it after giving it my all in the this, in this summer, I'll accept that. And then if you need me to be a 13 forward for this team who is more just a locker room guy, I'll do it. Like, those are the kind of conversations that I feel like those two have a strong enough rapport that they can speak frankly and honestly to each other. Now, look, at this point, Ken Haggison is still very much of the belief that he could turn the season around. And there's still time. There's still another five weeks or so left in the season, six weeks. Maybe Ken Haggison has another big spurt like he had before the uh, before the All-Star break that, um, that, that gets us thinking, hey, maybe he does have something left in the tank. There's still time. But they are running out of time. He is running out of time to show that he can still provide something, and it's not trending in the right direction. I just think that this isn't as simple as the Flyers unilaterally making the decision about Cam Atkinson's future. I think that there is enough mutual respect between the two parties that Cam Atkinson will very much be a part of the decision as to what happens next for Cam Atkinson and the Flyers, which is why I don't expect what it's going to be, because I think he's going to be a part of it. Okay, because like I laid out a few options. Uh, I think I, I it's unlikely any team would trade. I mean, not at this deadline, but like in the summer. But I do think there could be a fit if they were to retain 50%, which would be a little under three mil uh, for each side. Columbus, we know the problems they're having. Um, maybe to restore a little bit of order. They think accountability has been an issue since John Tortorella left. Well, we can't get yeah. John Tortorella, but we can get his buddy. You know, yeah. the guy who's sure. like a big part of the culture up in Philly and at 3 million bucks or a little less, like maybe Columbus would be willing to do that. Uh, I also think he'd score 20 goals in Boston next year. Cause fuck us. Um, everybody does. Everybody 20 goals in Boston. Yeah. Like the buyout number isn't huge. It's uh two point three eight five for next year and then another one point seven six the following year, and that's not that much. Uh and then there's the possibility of him becoming Mark Stahl. You play him some, yeah. but whether it's Brink or Tuamala or whoever, they get seventy five percent of the time because that's what it's about. And if he's willing to accept that role then you just let the contract expire. Yeah. You don't have to worry yeah. about a hit following season for a buyout. You don't have to worry about a retention slot and everything. That's probably the best way for this to go, but there's, there's options. I would be, I would love to be able to hear those conversations though, between those two specifically and Danny, because Danny is a guy yeah. that got bought out yeah. and he didn't want to leave and the organization didn't want to do it, but it was like, we fucking have to, man. Like it's it's just a salary cap issue at this point. 
Um, that's not the situation the Flyers are in, but they are in a situation where it's like, are we really going to give this guy six million bucks to? It, it, it's less the it's less the cap. And look, maybe there's a situation that changes this summer where the Flyers speed up their timeline and suddenly the cap matters. But it's really less about the cap and it's more about the spot because they are the roster spot is more important with Atkinson than the cap space just because they have so many right-shooting wingers. They just have so many, and they have so many cones still. Like, Bobby Brick just got called back up. Certainly, Drew Obama is not far away from being NHL ready, and we already have. Owen Taylor's a right-shooting winger who's playing on the left side. Tyson Forrester is a right-shooting winger playing on the left side a lot. Travis Konecki's probably going to be part of this long term. Like, they have a title. Garden Hathaway is under contract for another year in our grant. He's a fourth liner. But at least that's theoretically a spot you could put Atkinson. Except Hathaway's better than a fourth liner bigger than Atkinson is. So, they're just in a weird spot where they have so many guys who are right-shooting right-wingers naturally that appear to either be significantly better now or are much more part of the future than Karen Atkinson can possibly be. They're in the organization that are either in the NHL or close to NHL already. That's the problem they're facing with Atkinson. The Catholic, would be nice to have more cap space? Sure. It's always nice to have more cap space. Gives you more flexibility. You know, you can you can make more trades, you can take on money, you can add you know, draft picks by being a broker, having cash space always helps. But unless the Flyers are pivoting starting next season to be a contender, it's not the end of the world to overpay Cam Atkinson to be a 13-4. What would be the end of the world is if they keep Cam Atkinson playing 80 games next year and he just stinks and he blocks Sam to a lot from getting the look. That would be the worst case scenario. What if, and I'm just spitballing here, they play him in 81 consecutive games and sit him on the final day. <laughs> oh, Chris Vandivaldi. Dave Hackstall. Oh, what a legend. Just, just the fucking best era in, of Flyers hockey. In, retro, in retrospect, and at the time, it, nothing infuriated me more. In retrospect, it's kind of like a game respect game. Like, I've got to respect the troll. It was such a good troll by Hackstall. Huh. It was... It's one of the funniest things that's ever happened. Like, it, it was one of my favorite days on Twitter ever. Uh, and it was just a running. It got us through a whole season of bullshit, Charlie. An entire yeah. season where nothing happened. Oh, something happened. All right. And it was. Thank you, Chris Vandevelde and Dave Haxtall. Listen, we only have a few minutes left. Only a couple more things I want to talk to Charlie about today. But first, it's the final day of our sale at phlyhocker.com. Yeah. 30% off. Look at this. Clearance sale. Get ready for the spring. Listen, we got the Flyers going to the playoffs. We got the Sixers probably going to the playoffs. Philly's opening day, not that far away. You need to gear up for the spring. Do it at phlylocker.com. This is your last day to get in on this 30% off sale. Get the uh, the shirt with Bully Charlie on it. Get your get your mad Russian Matt Vay Mitchkov stuff. Get that Bobby Clark uh, eight bit shirt. Whatever it is, dry guy the fly. Yeah, show your support while he's injured. Make sure you hit up phlylocker.com. Get everything you need. Do it. I'm begging you. I need you to do this for me. All right. I think that's a. Uh, I think that's the sales pitch they were looking for, Charlie. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only real thing I wanted to talk about left, uh, well, we'll do Sam Harrison. Um, a couple of things shocked me here. First, when you tweeted out the Harrison stats earlier, I think it was NHL Network said he's been like awesome since the All-Star break, and you quote tweeted it. First of all, the league average save percentage this year is 899. I heard it was down, but isn't it like between 909 and 911 usually? It's been down for the last few years. This is what I pulled from Hockey Reference today. I don't think people understand just how much better teams are getting at shooting. Like, yeah. this has become a thing. And the funny thing is I get the line straight. is that teams are getting a lot better on the power play. And the Flyers obviously are. But I think that's a big part of it is that power plays are becoming so much more effective. You're seeing, you know, power plays that are consistently over, like, 30%. That isn't that at work. Teams that are in the upper 20s and the end of the 30s. The Flyers obviously are still in the low teens, which is a blast for, for everyone that has to watch the Flyers, whether a fan or someone who's paying you. But the same percentages are down. Teams are getting more efficient at scoring, which is why a guy who has a 9 10 save percentage, and Arison does, and Arison's a little over 900. That's only about average these days. It's not, that isn't mediocre like it was when we grew up. That is now for like, I had a pretty good starting goal. I had a great starting goal. Pretty good one. And that's the, I guess the craziest part is about Arison specifically, the expected save percentage per evolving hockey, like I, I referenced earlier. Erson is at 889 expected, and he's at 901 for the season. Like you said, not setting the world on fire, but for a rookie goalie, uh, basically thrust into this number one position, he's doing a pretty damn good job. Do you think he's a legitimate? Uh, he's not going to win the Calder, but do you think he's going to get some down ballot love? Like we're going to see Sam Erson fourth or fifth in Calder voting. Well, I mean, what I will say, and I mean, I guess I don't know for a fact that I'm going to get a vote because I'm no longer at the athletic. It's possible I might not. I have gotten votes the last five or six years in a row, so hopefully I will. If the Flyers make the playoffs and Sam Harrison was the starting goalie, like carries them the rest of the way to a playoff break, he's going to get my out. So he's going to get at least one. <laughs> well, that's good to you that. <laughs> Mike, just place the bet in order to cash it out, Charlie. All right, that's what I'm really trolling for is uh, the award stuff this time of year. It's all so juiced to hell, but you think you can find a little outlier in there. Might be worth betting, but we'll see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The last thing I want to discuss today, it's Tyson Forster. Goals in three straight since coming back. He's just feeling it right now. I realize like the actual shot that Vasilevsky let in last night, not super impressive. But he put himself in position to beat the goalie with that backhand shot by making a move I didn't think I would see out of him anytime soon. He is just feeling it right now. And when you look at this team's, like, over the scoring statistics for this team, I know we've been like, ah, he's kind of disappointed in terms of, like, you know, just the goal total. Scored his 14th last night. He's fourth on the team in goals. Like, was he ever going to be higher than that? He's kind of delivering what we expected, even if, uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, obviously Tippett's going to get 40, and uh, Joel Farabee, he'll be at 30, and, like, none of that happens. So, like, okay, being fourth on a team with 330 goal scores isn't the same as what they have, but he's been pretty damn good. I have very little complaint about Matthias Forster. And I think it's also worth noting um, that now, if you uh, if you look at his metrics for the full season, he's uh, he scored about 11.9% of the shots, which is slightly above average. If you include his three balls on 15 shots on goal in the eight games he played in the NHL last season, he has a 12.8 shooting percentage at the NHL level which is pretty good. It's not elite. You're hoping that a guy with his quality shot can maybe finish on more chances than that. However, like, Joe Farabee and Travis Konecki, like, guys who we view as plus shooters, Travis Konecki's career shooting percentage is 12.6. Joe Farabee's is 12.7. Best force so far is at 12.8. Like, he maybe is a better NHL shooter than we've given him credit for, Granted, part of this is coming on the Lake Mahat Street. He scored four goals in three games. That might regress a bit. Or maybe this is the regression. Maybe what he was doing before was the unsustainably low, and now he's regressing up to his actual true talent level. So now the question is going to be, can he shoot more? You know, if he can finish at a higher than expected level, can he develop into someone who generates 200 shots on goal season rather than 140? That might be the next service development. But I think what you're seeing is you're seeing guys playing with confidence. You're seeing someone who already was playing strong two-way. And now you're seeing a guy who is flashing the talent that could make him into a legitimate top six forward for your stuff. We'll see if he holds to it. Oscar Limbaugh flashed the talent too. And then obviously awful things happened to him. He never came back the same. So you truly never know. But right now... Tyson Forrester is flashing talent to be not a superstar, but a legitimately really good NHL forward, and it's exciting. God damn it, Charlie. Like, I hate including that in the list of bad luck, because, like, that's not something that happened to me. You know, it's, like, a legitimately bad thing that happened to a good young man. But, motherfucker, really? Like, uh, God, it just we can't have nice things. All right. Uh, yeah. They're in the playoffs, and things are going pretty well, but... It's a depressing show. <laughs> no. I, uh, do we have anything else to talk about today, Charlie? I think that basically sums it all up. 
Yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be off tomorrow, uh, but on Friday, I will be traveling down to D.C., so I'll be calling in uh, from whatever it's called now, the Capital One Center, I think is what it's still called, uh, until uh, until Ted Leonsis moves them to Alexandria, I guess, I think that's his plan, uh, and then we'll be doing our post-game show after the Ottawa game on Saturday as well, that'll be back home. Uh, just to echo what Bill already said, uh, definitely check out our merch. Uh, I think we've, over the last few months, We've especially built up the, the flyer section of the merch, and we'd love for you to make, uh, make a purchase there. I'm very partial to the uh, the Matt Rushing here. I think it's gorgeous, but the drive-by fly guy stuff is awesome, too. But don't just check out our Philly, our Philly flyer stuff. Check out our general stuff as well. It's pretty cool. Honestly, the, the ones with the uh, with each letter being uh, the logo, one of the uh, in the style of the logo for each of the main Philly, uh, the, the four main Philly pro sports teams, I think is really cool. The merch is pretty cool. We got great Philly stuff for the upcoming Philly season. You can always be wearing Eagle stuff. So if you have Flyers gear already from us, why not check out some of the other teams? If you are a 4 for 4 or a 3 for 4 fan, we got good stuff for everybody. It's 30% off until, I guess, midnight tonight. So, uh, so get those orders in now if we still can. Not to mention, Charlie, like I'm trying to get the uh, – there we go. Like our logo is sick. Like I love it. I I happen to have this sitting right next to me because I'm in my office, and like I I want a tattoo of our logo just because I think it's so fucking cool. Like that's Philly <laughs> stuff. Like you, you, even if you're oh well, I don't want to wear a blog name. Like the blog name, the website, the show. It's it's Philadelphia. Like it's cool looking. Buy it. Uh, phlylocker.com, 30% off. All right, Charlie, that is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. Remember that this show and every show we do presented by Mortgage CS, check out mortgagecs.com slash PHLY to start your home buying process today. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie O'Connor, we will talk to you on Friday, fam. Nope. Y'all sitting like the mayor.